and welcome to AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. I'm your host, John S. We're experimenting with some new uh, podcast intro music for 2017. I'm not so sure if I like this version, but let us know what you think. Any good ideas for a podcast intro? We're all open for good ideas. This is episode 45 of our podcast. In this episode, Ben and I are discussing step 11. It's a step I don't know a whole lot about, so we talk about some other things as well. Good morning, Ben. Good to talk to you again after, um, it seems like it's been a, a bit of a hiatus since we've talked. I can't remember the last time it was, but it seems like it's been longer than maybe it, than it has been. Good to, good to hear you. Yeah, good to hear you too. I think, yeah, it's been a couple months, I think. We got to see each other in Austin between then, but... Yep, that's yeah. right. Oh, yeah, and we did talk after we we talked. We had that podcast with um, um, Vic and Willow um, mm-hmm. right after coming back, which was kind of cool. Yeah, I've really enjoyed getting to know Willow. I, I wish I would have talked to her more in Austin. Yeah, it was fun getting to know her and listening and hearing her story. And I, I, I was, I'm kind of glad I, I I'm friends with her on Facebook because I I learned that her mother is doing fine and is in and is in recovery. And that was a question I never asked her during the podcast. So anyway, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's great. So anyway, we're we're taking our journey through the steps and we still need to do step twelve. Maybe in a couple of weeks, Ben, if you're able to, we can do that. Sure. Um but today is on step eleven, which um we um I'm gonna read the dang thing because my my mind isn't working too well right now. Yeah. We continue to take oh jeez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get it right here if you, you want me to it, read please it. Please read it. Yeah. Step eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, underlined as we understood him, right. praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. That's right. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, I almost feel like I should, should substitute someone in here who actually works the steps <laughs> <laughs> to talk to you about it. Yeah. But that's not totally fair. I've made attempts at this. Um, my thing about this step, is I think it's I think that it's a little bit too specific when it talks about the mode that we're going to be taking to achieve this state of awareness or consciousness or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's limiting when it just says meditation. And um, it puts um, it makes it a little bit more difficult for a guy like me who just isn't going to get into meditation, no matter how hard I try. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are other things that I can do to achieve this state, which is not. Um, as far as I'm concerned, a conscious contact with God. Um, when I wrote this out for myself, um, the way I worded it, and and I and I've changed it since then. I don't even know what it is now. But when when I very first took a look at it, I was thinking, okay, what are we really trying to achieve here? There there is no God that I'm going to have uh, any contact with, conscious or otherwise. So what is it I really want here? And I think in what what we want here is just peace of mind, um, serenity. So I, I kind of just used the serenity prayer. And, and the way I worded it was, sought serenity to accept what we could not change, courage to change what we could, and wisdom to know the difference. That's mm-hmm. how I kind of saw step 11. But then I've heard other people, um, <clears throat> Erica from my home group, she wrote the step out as, sought through mindfulness and meditation to improve our awareness of ourselves and the world around us, seeking only for knowledge of our path and life, path in life and the power to carry that out. So that's kind of, I think, a good description of what we're maybe trying to achieve. In this yeah, story. I like that. So what are your thoughts on this thing? You know, it's like uh, you and I talk about 
we're boiling it down to what's really going on here. You know, prayer and meditation, if that works for somebody, great. But mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, our friend Megan, who I don't, she probably wouldn't say she is in AA, but she posted the, I, people have probably seen it, but the 12 fucking steps yeah, online. That. And I mean, it. it's supposed to be kind of a joke, right? But they do really do a good job of summing up the steps. It's like step one, yeah. I'm fucked. Right. Step two, there might be a way out of this fucking mess. <laughs> Step three, decide to level the fuck up. Step four, take a good hard look at how fucked up I am. Step five, tell someone else about all the fucked up stuff I've been through. Step six, prepare to stop being such a fuck up. <laughs> Step seven, try to stop acting so fucked up. <laughs> Step eight, made, make a list of everyone I fucked over. <laughs> Step nine, swallow my fucking pride and tell them I really fucked yeah. up. Except when to do so would fuck them harder. Right. <laughs> Step ten... Keep an eye on my fucked up thinking and behavior. And then here's step 11. Uh Chill the fuck out sometimes. There you go. Step 12, help the next poor fucker that walks through the door. And I mean, it's that's what step 11 is about for me. It's just I need to take some time to center myself, whatever you want to call it, meditation, prayer, do something I enjoy. For me, it's going to films. It is working out when I'm able to do that uh, and willing to do that, I should say. And, you know, I go to yoga once in a while, and the end of it, when I feel that shavasana, that is when I'm chilling the fuck out. That's like a form of meditation for me. And just, for some people, it's jogging, you know, and it's it's a manner of traveling. It's not necessarily what you do. When I used to be a counselor, we would do meditative walks, and people would be like, what the hell, how the hell do you do a meditative walk? And it's like, well, you're not really trying to meditate. It's just while you're walking, you're clearing your mind, you're taking in deep breaths. It's just, I think it's what's at work underneath it is taking some time for ourselves to just calm our minds, whatever we got to do, because it is so easy in this world today, especially to get so busy and get so pulled different ways. And sometimes it's even I'm shaming myself because I need to get to a meeting, but I really want to stay home and watch a movie. And it's not just me being lazy. It's, it's, I need to take some designated time to just focus on myself and do something I enjoy. You know, my wife likes to garden. That's peaceful for her. She really enjoys doing that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I see this much more broadly than the book states it. But I can understand what the book is saying, too, because for some people that works as well. Right. Um, I, I agree with you. And I, I think that it's best not to limit ourselves to meditation. Um, people get too hung up on that sometimes. And I'm not knocking meditation. I've done it before. And it is a, it's, a, it's a beneficial practice. Mm-hmm. But so is going for a bike ride. So, mm-hmm. so is going for a run or going to the gym and walking on the treadmill and just kind of, kind of calming yourself, just kind of, like you say, centering yourself, just sort of taking care of yourself, you know, um, that I think is what it's all about. It could be reading. It could be, it could be sitting, you know, in your, in a chair quietly looking out the window. Whatever um, it, mm-hmm. it, it is that helps a person. And I think during different times of my um, period of recovery in AA, it's it's been more important or less important to do these things, right? Depending upon what's going on, you know. Um, there was a period where I was doing a regular meditation. And what happened was, um, I was, this was a long time ago. This was back in the nineties, I guess this was back in 98. And, um, I was involved with this, um, email group. I don't even know if they're still around anymore. They were called new beginnings and it was kind of interesting. They had all these different, um, groups. They, they consisted of like 20 people in each email group and they were from all over people all from all over the world. And my group, um, Anyway, there was a guy from Massachusetts who I became friends with, and he um, 
told me about these um, 11th step meetings that they had in Massachusetts. And at that time, we didn't have them here in um, Kansas City. I never heard of it before. So he sent me the format. And the format was basically, um, they would have a 20 minute moment of silence where, you know, people could meditate or just sit quietly, whatever. And then afterwards, they would just um, talk and somehow related to step 11. So Mm -hmm. We started that up in Kansas City back in 1998-1999 and I'd started at my home group and that meeting is still going on and and I went to it pretty regularly and we were taking it maybe a little bit too seriously. We had a guy come in who um, took us through a guided meditation and we we got we brought in outside books to read about meditation and um, what was happening to us at the time is we were focusing too much on the physical act of meditating and how to do it and ra- rather than just what we were trying to achieve mm-hmm. but from that experience I have to say I did learn that that actually that's what I learned I learned that hey it's not it's not what it's not the meditating. It's it's whatever I'm trying to achieve here. And, you know, some people were trying to have their mind a blank when they meditated. And I just got to where I just wanted to relax and not and just kind of learn how to let my thoughts um, not hold on to my thoughts. And that's yeah. kind of how I benefited from that is I would I would go there, you know, every week and for 20 minutes, I'd sit and try to um, let my thoughts go by without trying to hold on to them. And then Mm -hmm. I got to where I was practicing that in my daily life, but, and I'm, I'm rambling, but honestly, even during that time, what was really helping me the period of time when I was really kind of um, connecting with what's important in my life were the times when I'd go for a bike ride or the times when I'd go for a walk or something like that. Or I used to run. I used to love to run. And, mm-hmm. and when I was running, those would be the times when I would really clear my mind and kind of um, feel better about myself and have a better connection with where I was at that point in my life and where I wanted to go. So yeah. that's what I think it's about, really. I do. And I think it, there's a point in recovery, for me at least, it has been you kind of transcend whatever the text says or whatever the step mm-hmm. specifically says, and you start to understand what's really going on. And it's like, for me, recovery started making a lot more sense. I've said this before on this podcast, but when I quit trying to look at the book like a textbook I needed to understand or do exactly like it said, and just more of like taking it into my nature and becoming, I don't know, more of a recovery mindset, I think, that that transcends the book even. It's like, what's it really getting at? Like you said, what does this mean to me? Right. Um, instead of, oh God, I'm not doing meditation right because I felt, right. I had a thought for a second, I screwed it up. It's like, oh God, it's like, it's no, it's just go and give it a chance, be in the process. And like you said, we all find different things that work for us at different times. Just like some people go to seven meetings a week right away. Some people go to three, some people find two, some, you know, it's, we're able to be more unique in this thing than we're allowed to be by that group think at times. And and it's, you know, I had a friend who just, he just got done watch, walking the Appalachian Trail mm-hmm. uh, this fall. And his sponsor, who's pretty rigid, he's really tired of his sponsor, but his sponsor was like, well, how the hell are you going to go to a meeting while you're out there? <laughs> and he was like, well, the whole walk's a meeting, you know? Right. It's, it The whole thing was this meditative thing for him that reconnected him to nature and himself. And he had a great time. And like, when he came back, he felt better than he had felt ever, you know, and he didn't go to a meeting. Oh my gosh, you know, because it's not necessarily about that. Yeah. 
So, boy, I'm tired of hearing about sponsors that are like that. What, the, what <laughs> you know, what's wrong with that guy? Why couldn't he just say, "Hey, that's wonderful. Tell me about your trip on the trail," you know, and and try yeah. to, God dang, I mean, I know. I mean, AA isn't supposed to be a prison. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're not we're not supposed to be chained to our groups and to our right. meetings. Yeah, uh, I think it, it can be trauma inducing for some people who, um, you know, I think that's especially for the people who tend to be people pleasers. It's like. Yeah. There's no possible way you're going to ever please anybody in AA. And, and the personality type that tends to be in AA, too, and I'm talking about myself, it's, uh, I don't know, it's difficult. It's like we can't just let what be is going to be and get yeah. out of the way. It's like we don't, if I'm a sponsor, especially in the early going, I felt like I had to direct somebody or give them more direction than they needed. And mm-hmm. as I've gotten older and been in AA longer, it's like the more I get out of the way and just kind of help guide and be there when people want me, the, the better people do, and they actually find better results than I could have ever guided them to. Yeah. So it's not to make them reliant on me, and it's not, and this is my problem with AA too, it's not to make people reliant on AA. Yeah. I mean, even Bill Wilson himself said everything in AA is borrowed from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I've said that in meetings before, and people look at me like I'm crazy. I'll say there's nothing specific and unique and magical about AA. It's all borrowed from other places that Bill saw at work. Yeah. And he took the things out that he saw didn't work, you know, getting involved in politics and the money right. thing, all this right. and that. And that's why AA has probably lasted. So Right. Yeah, a lot of this stuff like um you know, you mentioned that sponsor and people having these really rigid views of the steps. This is something that I think has become a pr- an increasing problem in AA and probably more so in the last several years, 10 years or whatever. Um and I can understand why there's a bit of a backlash. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to be publishing a story that Megan wrote. Mm-hmm. And it is one of the best written articles that I have seen come out on AA Beyond Belief. And we've had some really good ones recently. Mm-hmm. But she's writing about leaving AA. Mm-hmm. And she's writing about um, leaving AA and finding freedom and happiness from the from the leaving and and mm-hmm. it, it's ve- going to be very interesting to see the reaction of people mm-hmm. but i can certainly understand what happens i mean um she talks about the phenomena of gaslighting mm-hmm. as a behavior in aa and um i can't even remember exactly what that is but um what is that exactly ben the gaslighting well, thing it's it's kind of like when someone is so skilled at manipulating you that they make you question your own thoughts completely and you get engrossed in this situation to where anything you know is fact that is fact you start to question all of those things and you just get swept up in it yeah. it's, you see it happen in toxic relationships a lot or when people are in relationships with highly dysfunctional narcissistic people it's like you you totally doubt yourself all the time and yeah. you just become a function of whatever that thing is that's got a hold of you. There's there's a lot of truth that I can't wait there to is. read that. There there is. And I'm I'm glad that she wrote it and I hope that people read it with an understanding that you know what, this is something that we can learn from because these are behaviors that take place. You just mentioned mm-hmm. that guy you know, the sponsor talking to the guy who went on the trip to the Appalachian Trail. What's he doing? I mean, he's putting thoughts in this guy's head that, well, was that wrong for me to get, to take a trip? Mm-hmm. Is it wrong for me to enjoy my life, you know? I love the way Megan thinks. We barely know each other. We met in Austin. Uh-huh. I don't even think she, you know, I love the way she thinks. We're friends on Facebook now. Mm-hmm. And it's like the thing she is probably going to be pointing out in that article, I haven't even read it, so I don't know, yeah. but... It's like those are the things that make me question wanting to be an AA because that stuff is so ingrained in different aspects of recovery that it's like 
there's no room for diversity in certain places right. in AA. It's like you think even slightly differently and people will question you and act like you're an outsider and that you don't belong and there's like this slight shunning that goes on. I've been experiencing that lately because I haven't been going to as many meetings and it's like I find that all of a sudden people are texting me less even if I text them or they're not you know the texts that I get back from them are very short and blunt and then little things like you know this is stupid and it's childish but like I post pictures of my daughter on Facebook mm-hmm. and the people in AA that I don't see so often anymore they used to like my stuff all the time and now they don't mm-hmm. and it's not like it bothers me but I mean it's it's just a sign of that it's like if you're not completely 100% with us you're you're dangerous you know makes me think yeah. of like those suspicious people in um, uh, the Scientology documentary. You get marked as, a, I think it's an SP. And yeah. once you get marked as an SP, you're supposed okay. to dissociate with those people. And it's, I don't know, for a place that's supposed to be about supporting people and helping people and we love you no matter what and love and tolerance. Right. I don't see that as much in action as I just hear it in words. No, it's true. I mean, I experienced the same thing when I left my old home group. I mean, nobody, I didn't hear from anybody. Um, And I I don't think that um, this is, I think, I don't think it's by design. I don't think it's Mm -hmm. intentional even. I think it just happens, this kind Mm -hmm. of behavior. And it comes from the culture. Um, of AA and maybe just human psychology. I I was talking to Joe, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and yeah. he was saying about, you know, we were talking a little bit about the traditions, and he was saying people crave authority. People want to have this authoritarian figure kind of come in and and from top from the top and say, this is what we do, this is what you mm-hmm. must do. And AA is not that way. It's totally the opposite. It's like total freedom for each individual is how it's actually set up. Right. But people still are human beings, and they want to be part of the right way. And that's why, you know, kind of getting back to, you know, step 11 is that, you know, there are going to be a lot of people who say, no, it's got to be specifically meditation. And right. you're not doing it if you're not meditating. And it's got to be all about God, too. It's got to be about you know, improving your conscious contact with God. Mm-hmm. But that's not what AA, you know, the, the way it's set up is that actually you, you can you don't even have to do step 11. You can forget about all the steps if you want to. And if you want to think about them differently, please do. I mean, that's, that's how AA is really supposed to be. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I like about our agnostic um, meetings is that it is that way. I mean, people can, people can, trash the steps if they want to and not do them or people can do them as they're written or they can write their own version or whatever they want to do right i think really that's the way it's supposed to be it's just like this is more like a general guideline or path or and it was written in a way though this is the bad part this is what gets us in trouble it was written by these guys like almost 100 years ago now (laughs) Mm -hmm. who had religious experiences so um you know um, that's where we're taking this stuff from. I mean, we're taking it from their religious experiences, but but they even realized as, as time progressed that um, they took it a little bit too far and they tried to clarify things a little bit. But but we tend to forget that. You yeah, know, we tend to think that oh no, it has to be done exactly as these guys did it, nineteen thirty nine or whatever. Right, and that's the whole reason that AA success rates are so low is because people don't do it exactly that way anymore, John. They don't. You know, that's what people will say. Oh, it's like if yeah. only if only, I was sorry I was being sarcastic, no. but it's like if only and, you know if you talk to somebody and say, well, why are AA success rates so low? Well, it's because we've gotten away from the way it was done before. You know, it's yeah. like no, it's not. 
I think it's the opposite. To be to be honest, it's because there's there's it's again like you said, it's not intentional, but it's like it's a subtle way of pushing anybody out of the room who doesn't agree with you completely. Yeah. So then so then it it almost furthers the problem because the only people willing to stick around are the people who think exactly that way. So it almost just it, it's circular. It just keeps remaking the problem, I think. So yeah. to challenge that, that's one of the reasons I don't leave my traditional meetings because I feel like there needs to be another voice. Now, yeah. I, I'm trying not to be grandiose in that, like, well, I'm going to save, you know, no. whatever. But it's, it's, I needed, there were different times in AA where I needed to hear somebody say, you don't have to do this this way. Yeah, no, you're you can, right. You can be here and not agree with everything. And, yep. and it's, and the truth is, I think we're the only ones being honest about that because most of the people I talk to outside of meetings who seem like dogmatists don't do a lot of the things they seem to say they do in meetings all the time anyway. Yeah, you're right. Um, people like you and Mark C., I mean, and there's others out there who go to these meetings and are their own true self and stand up and say, no, it doesn't have to be done this way. You don't have to believe in God. I mean, that, that does take a lot of courage, and it really is necessary, because if we, if we just divide up into our own little groups, there's a lot of people that might not know about our secular meetings, and they just go to these traditional meetings, go to one meeting, walk right out the door, and never come back again. And there needs to be someone in the room that says, hey, don't worry about this crap. You don't have to, you don't have to buy into all of, this, all of this stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah. That's, it's, it's just about being genuine, and that's the only thing that ever rang true to me in AA was when I heard someone being genuine about something. And and it's still that way. Like I don't care for any of the you know the standard story. I've got the guy that's seventy five in my home group who just he repeats the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's like a track. It's every fourth meeting. It's the exact same thing. You know. And it's I'm just, afraid we're all kind of destined to do that at a certain age. I know I would. <laughs> I try hard not to. <laughs> we I used to laugh at our at um, uh, P3, my old home group, and we had this guy who you know got sober like back in the '60s or whatever. Really old as hell. You know, this guy was just ancient, and he used to do the same thing, say the same story over and over and over again, and and. Sometimes people would roll their eyes, and I say, "Just wait. Eventually, that's <laughs> yeah. going to be us." <laughs> I hope not, but yeah, I just hope that I'm always evolving, and that I'm always my perspective's always changing, and that I can look at me 30 years from now and think, "Wow, you know, yeah, that, that I don't think that way anymore." I don't know. It's even the way the book. I was just looking through here. It's like again, the tone of the book is a great example of alcoholism. I think you know all this all or nothing thinking, but mm-hmm. you know it talks about step eleven, suggesting prayer and meditation. Then it says better men than we are 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 using it constantly. It works if we have the proper attitude and work at it. So you know, if somebody was talking to you and you said, "I just can't." seem to get this meditation thing mm-hmm. well john it works if you have the proper attitude right. work at it it's like keep ramming your head in the wall if it's not working for you yeah, don't try to think for people to know that no it doesn't you you can find your own way to do this yeah um and you know I, looking ahead at 2017 i do want to kind of go back to some of those activities that i used to do that would bring me some peace and that would be for me, um, bike, biking and running are the two activities that I really enjoyed because I mean, the whole thing is you prepare for it, you know, you, um, you get to see progress in how, you know, all of a sudden it's easier to pedal up a hill or you might notice yourself, you know, um, you know, walking up some stairs and realizing how much easier it is. You just feel better about yourself. Plus when you're actually doing the exercise, um, for me, it, 
I, I kind of replay kind of what has gone on in the day mm-hmm. and I, um, or I think about some problem or issue that might be going on, but in a very constructive way. And um, it just kind of brings me some clarity about, and it gives me confidence, I think, to move on ahead in life in mm-hmm. spite of whatever challenges, you know, are in front of me. Um, yeah. And that's really helpful stuff. And I think that's what step 11 is really about is, kind of preparing it says you know it's about improving your your um, consciousness your awareness of what you want with your life i think what what who do you want to be where Mm -hmm. do you want to go how do you want to behave and somehow tapping into whatever is inside of you to make that possible and for me it has always been um some sort of physical activity um, like that but lately too it's also been writing is is very helpful for me when I sit mm-hmm. down and write. Um, I'm I I get kind of the same thing and um, reading as well. Um, if mm-hmm. I I can often um, I can um, kind of benchmark my level of serenity with with my um, reading comprehension and how well I can you know sit down and just read a book and focus on that. Um, that really is when you think about it, kind of meditative because. You're kind of you're you're kind of um, allowing yourself to um, become part of the story, I guess that you're reading. You kind of mm-hmm. block out everything else that's going on out in the outside stimulus, which is really difficult to do nowadays when you have a cell phone next to you with people texting you and oh yeah, and everything else that's going on. But that's that's step eleven as far as I'm concerned. In a nutshell, it's just it's just very simple. Yeah, um, stuff. you know. In uh, in the twelve by twelve, it's like the language it uses to. It's like you know to certain newcomers and to those one time agnostics who still cling to the AA group as their higher power. Like cling, oh, they're just barely hanging on because they got the group as the power. Claims for the power of prayer may, despite all the logic and experience and proof of it, still be unconvincing or quite objectionable. Right. Those of us who once felt this way can certainly understand and sympathize. Oh, poor little people that don't believe in God. Uh, We well remember how something deep inside us kept rebelling against the idea of bowing before any god. Many of us had strong logic, too, which proved there was no god, whatever. What about all the accidents, sickness, cruelty, and injustice in the world? What about all those unhappy lives, which were the direct result of unfortunate birth and uncontrollable circumstances? Surely there could be no justice in this scheme of things, and therefore no god at all. And, of course, it goes on to talk about how it says, of course, we finally did experiment with prayer, and then, and when unexpected results followed, we felt different. In fact, we knew different. And then I, I wrote here, I go, no, we did feel different. Right. <laughs> you had it right the first time. It doesn't. It's not necessarily that you know different. It's, yeah. Um, and I, I, anytime somebody says, oh, atheists think they've proved there is no God. I don't. I don't know no. any atheists like that. That's so stupid. And there's maybe not any proof that there is one. It's just right. It's idiotic to say that. I mean, we we. I don't think there. I don't have any proof there's no God. I don't have any proof there's no Easter Bunny. I mean, I just. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but I'm pretty sure there isn't. <laughs> I, I'm like one of those really. Um, they have that Dawkins scale of um, atheists, where you have um, like one side that like is like totally open minded to the idea that there might be, to mm-hmm. the other side that's like pretty very sure there is no god i'm pretty much like that i mean it's really obvious when you look back at um human history and all the various gods that have been invented over the many 
uh, that couple thousands of years. I mean, the Romans had their gods, the Greek, everybody's had their gods. So, right. I mean, it's just something that human beings um, develop. So, I'm, I'm very sure there isn't, but that's beside the point, I guess. <laughs> I'll, just you... <laughs> t- I'll tell people I just believe in one less god than you do. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But yeah, that whole thing is kind of, kind of, you know, the, but the, the big book, unfortunately, and the 12 and 12, they get the whole atheist agnostic thing wrong. Um, right. And it's too bad, you know, when you were reading that chapter, that little passage about um, from step 11, that shows you really the challenge that we're facing in AA. We've mm-hmm. got to modernize our literature that has that deals with the program of recovery, because any um, reasonable, reasonable person who reads that or a secular person is going to say, I'm sorry, but this sounds a little bit too weird for me. You know, right. um, you could write that so much better about you know, the actual, what, what you're trying to achieve here. Um, I'm not knocking prayer. Right. I mean, if you pray, pray. I mean, I did it for many, many years, and I, I think I got some benefit from it, but not mm-hmm. because there was some God that was coming down and helping me out. But what I was doing is I was taking a little bit of time to think about what is important to me, you know, that I don't want to drink that day, that maybe I want to help somebody. You know, right. um, just taking some time out of your day. It doesn't have to be a prayer. If you if you want to pray, though, pray. I mean, there's nothing right. wrong with it. Even atheists. I mean, there's some atheists who actually do this. They do it as some kind of affirmation or something. Yeah. I don't. It's not my cup of tea, but I'm not knocking it. I can see value in it. Um, there was a time in my life where um, I did do, you know, I got on my knees every morning. I got on my knees every night. And I think that there was some value at that time for me. But had I not been doing that, I could have been doing something else equally right. of uh, of value. So, yeah. yeah so people yeah. that have religious practices to go for it. I, I'm no problem with it. Yeah, yeah, me too. If it if it's working for you, um, yeah. it's just it's just the tone of it. It's just so condescending. Well, the they're way pushing they talk it on about the rest of stuff. us is what they're doing. Yeah. That's what's wrong yeah. with it. Anytime they do that, that's where <clears> I draw the line. You have your beliefs. I'm perfectly fine with that. Go to church. Do whatever you want to do. But the moment that you start bringing that into my life and tell me that I got to start doing that and there's something wrong with me because I'm not doing it, that's where I have a problem. And that's what—that's the problem with our literature. But it's not a problem with AA itself, how AA is set up. Because AA was never set up to say that we must follow these books rigidly for the rest of all time. Right. That's not right. the way it was supposed to be. But we right. human beings have... You know, as Joe said, you know, we like that authority and we, we use these books as, as, as if they're the authority that we have to follow. It just makes it easier, I guess, because you don't have to think for yourself. Well, true. And, and I mean, some people like to be led and some people don't. And, you know, I don't know. I think of this quote, Bill Wilson, AA Grapevine, 1965. Um, Newcomers are approaching AA at the rate of tens of thousands yearly. They represent almost every belief and attitude imaginable. We have atheists and agnostics. We have people of nearly every race, culture, and religion. In AA, we are supposed to be bound together in the kinship of a common suffering. Consequently, the full individual liberty to practice any creed or principle or therapy, whatever, should be a first consideration for us all. Let us not, therefore, I love this, let us not, therefore, pressure anyone with our individual or even our collective views. Let us instead accord each other the respect and love that is due to every human being as he tries to make his way toward the light. Let us always try to be inclusive rather than exclusive. Let us remember that each alcoholic among us is a member of AA so long as he or she so declares. That is like such a change in tone from this original writing. It and it is. makes it makes sense. I mean, it's almost 30 years later. Yeah. 
Um, he write that? Yeah, so he wrote that back like in the 60s or whatever? Yeah, 65. Yeah. Yeah, he really did evolve. And it's so funny that um, <clears throat> we never read the Bill Wilson, the evolved Bill Wilson. No. <laughs> nope. But yet we're supposed to worship people who are sober longer than... I know. Yeah. We're reading the stuff when he was like sober for a couple of years and on a on a pink cloud of um, worshiping God or whatever. Right, right. And never, we never stopped to think about the guy who was maturely sober after, you know, decades and had kind of had, had some new insight to offer. Right, right. Yeah. 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 And then and, and also in the 12 by 12, I was just like, I wrote just lame is what I wrote after this sentence. It has been well said that, quote, almost the only scoffers at prayer are those who never tried it enough. And again, here's that tone in the book that just right. always blames you. If it's not working for right. you, you just haven't tried it enough. That's the kind of stuff I used to get too when I was new. Because um, I, you know, you know my story, Ben. I've been, I've told it. I, I did not have a religious background. I, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I, I knew nothing. I mean, anything I knew about religion it was because I read the Bible myself and I, I took a class about the Bible. But I was never a churchgoer, and I tried to go to church um, even when I was tr- trying to believe in God, and I didn't even like it. I, I, I'm not. Um, unfortunately, my my religious um, background were not really my family. They were from, they're Protestant, and they were from um, the Baptist church. And so mm-hmm. I always thought I had to go to Baptist churches because that's what my family did. So anytime I did try to go to church, I go to these Baptist churches. And I'm not knocking it, but whatever. Um, right. The one thing that they do in the Baptist churches, and maybe they do this in other churches too, they have a call where um, if you want to if you want to have Jesus now, come on down. Right. You know, and, and I used to hate that because I used to think um, – yeah, I really need to do that. I really need to go. I need to make a big spectacle and, mm-hmm. and come on down to the and, and and then and then eventually I have to do the baptism thing too of of um, having some guy dunk me under the water and stuff. Yeah. But when I was like twelve or thirteen, my dad told me that was all bullshit. And I didn't have to do it. So nice. <laughs> yeah. Good dad. <laughs> So um, uh, I'm just, I I have to keep remembering that. But you know what? Going back to this whole authority thing, um, even me at that time, and th- th- when I was doing that, Ben, I was I was seeking something because my life was sucked. I was um, my drinking was really ba- out of control. My life was out of control, and I was looking for some answers. And I thought that religion might have those answers for me. And I was looking for mm-hmm. some sort of authoritative you know, follow this path and you will be okay. So right. I was forgetting about what my father said about it all being bullshit, not worry about it. I was thinking, no, I probably really have to do this stuff. But you mm-hmm. know what? It wasn't me. I wasn't comfortable doing it. Mm-hmm. But I'm, this is where I'm getting back to what you were talking about in AA. By the time I show up to AA, again, I'm at that point where my life is totally wrecked. And people were saying, well, John, you're not trying hard enough. You're mm-hmm. closing. Your mind is closed. You need to open your mind. And so I started actually doing these things. And then um, whether I believed it was helpful or not, I'm going to get the positive affirmations from the group by going back and saying, hey, I'm doing it and it's great for me. I'm connecting right. or whatever. That's right. Because you want to have the acceptance from other people. You don't want people to say, oh, you're you're, right. <laughs> you're just not trying or you're closed-minded or there's some you're somehow – you know, defective. You know, I never could get the religious stuff. I, 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 yeah. um, I tried it um, probably longer than I needed to. Well, and I think there's a certain personality type that is just more apt to blame themselves as well, and that's where this can be harmful. You yeah. know, it's like I want to please other people. I want to get adulation from other people to know that I'm on the right path, rather than going inward and seeking what what I find to be true and discover about myself. It's like I, I was always trying to 
fit myself into whatever category I thought I needed to be in. Yeah. And uh, it's, uh, it's, man, it just kept me so lost and uh, torn up inside for a long time. Yep. Well, you know, you come in and like most of us, we, 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 we are, we've just had nothing but failure. I mean, I, I, it was all downhill for me when I started drinking. I mean, it, I had no success. Yeah. <laughs> success. I couldn't, I couldn't get anything right. So by the time I got into AA, it was like, hey, of course I am a screw up. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. right. <laughs> I was so, I was stuck in neutral. It just felt like I had no forward momentum in my life. Yeah. It was just, I was just, yeah, bad. And obviously depression just got worse and worse, but. Yeah. It it also says in the 12 and 12 that this is about self-searching. You know, this is one of the sentences I really get behind. It says it brings a new vision, a new action and grace eh, to bear on dark and negative sides of our nature. I don't know about dark and negative sides, but this is this is about self-searching and going inward and um and that's what all good practices are, I think. Yeah. Uh, that when I became a believer for a while, I mean, I grew up that way, but then I really, really, really did believe for myself for a while. It was because of some of the truth I read and found in there, and those things aren't false still. But it's not, yeah. it's not the grandiose truths of you know, you got to give your life over to Jesus, or else you're yeah. going to hell. You know, it's um, there's truth to be found lots of places, and I can find that today. It's not just in this book or this religion or these people, yeah. because like Joe was saying, and like you're saying. That was my false sense of self trying to find a place where I perfectly belonged. And and there's just, there's nothing perfect. I mean, it's no. just whatever. But it's also a function of our world. And I just, I think I, I, I get negative, but then there's times I think where our world really is evolving to where we are becoming less judgmental and more accepting of other people. Well, then something like this last election happens. But mm-hmm. uh, there's a change. There's a lot of stuff going on right now. And I would just like to think that AA of all places could be a place like that. And like you said, it feels like it's, it was supposed to be. And when I hear that quote, I just read from Bill, it feels like it could be. And there's some meetings that I go to, it feels like that. I don't mean a specific group. I mean, a specific meeting of that group once in a while. The group dynamics are really interesting to me. You know, you learn a lot about that as a counselor, but yeah. Really you're going to have that in any group setting, yes. it, whether yes. it's Life Ring or Smart or a group therapy. At least there, though, you have some professional guy who kind of yep. kind of guides you through that. But yeah, you're always going to have that group dynamic, no matter what group you're in. Yep. But it is kind of interesting, isn't it? How people kind of um, follow certain roles, or they they the group kind of becomes its own thing. I guess. Yeah, it's it's its own living, breathing organism. It's like. Uh, well, I think about you learn about family dynamics and dysfunctional family dynamics in counseling and therapy and stuff. And um, the way some AA groups function, it's very, very much like a dysfunctional family. It's like you don't dare talk about your feelings. You don't share what's really going on. You yeah. protect you protect the group at, at all expense. Like don't ever talk about anything negative. You know, those are all dysfunctional family cycles. Yeah. Um, and let me tell you what, I experienced that over Christmas. Man, it was uh, – Oh, with family? Oh man, yeah. My mom is uh she's pretty hardcore religious and um oh, she wow. yeah, she doesn't uh she doesn't see our granddaughter very often, so I think I have a resentment about that. And then when we do see her, all she does is passive aggressively criticize our parenting all the time. Mm. And so this time I spoke up and I just basically told her I gave her feedback on it and I said I just don't care to hear that anymore. Yeah. And uh that was that was not good. <laughs> I thought I did it pretty well, but then my brother was getting all defensive about it, and I don't know. It was the dysfunctional – where I was going with that is 
for one person in any dysfunctional situation to get a little bit healthy is to threaten the balance of the dysfunction. Mm. And so it forces other people to have to take a look at themselves once something gets a little bit healthier in that system. Yeah. So for my family, it started when my dad passed away. I hate to say that, mm. but with my dad, my dad was very controlling. He was very money driven. He was very power driven, mm -hmm. but he was super insecure and when he passed away, it was like, God, I hate to say this, it feels terrible, but it was like freedom for a lot of mm -hmm. people um, from his tyranny of like judgment and putting you down all the time and trying to hold his thumb on you. And um, so that was where the healing began. And then I think me having a drinking problem and having to heal that, then I started getting better. And then, you know, no one can just blame you as the fuck up. And then it's like the squeaky wheel gets a grease in a family, right? Yeah. So. My mom's role was to always try and take care of my dad and be there when his life eventually fell apart from his drinking. Mm -hmm. And so now that he's gone, she's got to take a look at herself. But, you know, we can run from that a lot of ways. And I think my mom uses religion to do that. Mm -hmm. And and it's just in some ways we run for so long from looking at ourselves that when something, like I said, something gets healthy in a group, it's it challenges the comfort level of the rest of the group because what, what people are really running from is really true growth. And I find that to be true in many AA groups. It's like mm -hmm. people find a comfortable place to go and kind of stay the same person but not drink. Yeah. And and not drinking is good, but sometimes there's a lot more that needs to be dealt with. Yeah. And uh, I kind of talked all over the place there, but I hope some of that at least made sense. So no, it's, it does make it's, sense. It's, it's a threat to other people when people say things that aren't exactly true for them. Right. The, si the sign of a person in more healthy recovery, in my opinion, is – well, that's true for that person. And that's great for them. I'm glad that's working for them. I know what works for me. Yeah. But instead, if it threatens them because it's like, holy shit, I might be wrong. It, it shows that your your foundation mm. of your recovery is kind of built on sand. And it's like to have that little thin, sandy bedrock shaken a little bit is to make the whole house of cards come down. Well, that's yeah. not necessarily true, but that's what it feels like. Well, that's where the dynamics for me in my old home group, because um, I um, I think um, us atheists, we actually serve a really good purpose in AA because we get to the point where, especially those of us who were not atheists or didn't realize we were atheists or whatever and just kind of went with the deal, but then all of a sudden change where you become like, wow, I cannot buy that kind of crap anymore. Mm -hmm. So, but the group doesn't like hearing that. They don't like hearing that, oh, I, I've changed or I'm not, I, I don't believe like, like that. Mm -hmm. and, and they close their mind to um, this new, my new perception. Um, they don't like hearing that new information. They, they want, right. they like the old, the old stuff. And that's the dysfunctional dynamics of the group is they try to, they try to keep you in, they, they want to keep you from having your new thoughts and maybe that's not even intentional, but they want they want no. to keep you from from being someone different than than from what the rest of the group accepts right. as being the norm. Now, my friend who I started my, this group with, um, Jim, he's been a lifelong atheist his entire life. He came into AA knowing he was an atheist, so he was always able to kind of deal with all of this kind of crap and be and oh. be who he was, and it was fine. But me, I was completely different. I came in there and I was talking all that talk and then all of a sudden shifted mm -hmm. and they don't like to see that. People don't like mm -hmm. to see that, that change um, when you go against something that, right. you know, and, and, that, and maybe that's kind of like what you're describing too. It's just that, yeah. yeah. And to me, that was my, that was me being healthy. That was me being, you know, right. You know, but it's, it's, 
the dangerous thing about it is it's anti-growth. And like, if there's one thing we learn in AA, it's about constantly growing. And I think most yeah. people can agree that as a person in recovery, you're always learning and changing and growing. But the, the reaction to that when people continue to grow and maybe even grow outside AA or past AA is it's, it's based on fear. It's like, oh crap, I might not be doing something right yeah. to the group. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's anti-recovery to me. And yeah. I agree with you that it's not intentional. It's kind of pathological, but I, yeah. I don't think it's intentional. No. But, it, but it's what happens. And that's why I think it's created this streamlined idea of AA um, that rigid fundamental AA that, that just, it tends to finally wear on people who don't think that way. And then you end up leaving. Yeah. And I, I just hope that people know that even if you do leave AA or I'd, ideally, I'd like to think you don't have to, right. But even mm. if you do, it doesn't mean you have to equate it with drinking, you know, right. but we, but we get told over and over to scare the hell out of you all the time. Like, well, you're either going to end up here in AA, you know, dead Mm-hmm. or institutions jail you know it's like yeah. no there's there are other options right yep there are absolutely and you know um you don't have to limit yourself to just aa anyway you know do right. do do whatever um you, uh, a person needs to do um that's that's another thing weird is that we sometimes get locked into like we're in this camp like i'm in the aa camp right. and this is me my beliefs and so this is all i do but wait a second why don't you go to smart meetings? Why don't you go to life ring? Why don't you go to therapy as an addition to that? You know, there's other things you can do just because you go to AA doesn't mean that's the only thing that you do. But again, it always goes back to our literature because the people always reference this as the authority, the authority. And you know, you don't want to do right. anything else, but, but that, so. Yeah. But and it's, it's, it's crazy. It's it just, is. I just, and I've never, like, I remember sometime when someone asked me, well, are you a member of AA or not? And I go, well, I've never really thought of it that way. I think of, like, AA as a place I go. Yeah. It's part of me helping take care of myself. Um, I don't yeah. know. There's no real membership, right? You either attend and you decide to go or, or not. You're a member if you say you are. Right. That's so. Right. Yeah. He's basically saying, are you going to follow the party line or not? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but you're right. It's like, yeah, if you're going to be a Republican or a Democrat or something, you, then you have certain beliefs or you have certain, you know, fundamental right. the party platform. But no, AA yeah. really isn't like that. You don't have to follow the party line. You don't have to follow yeah. the platform to to be a member. Well, and people people want to be able to define you, right? They want to think, well, if you're an AA, even outside of AA, I've had people who say, oh, you go to AA, oh God, you know, you must think this and think this and think. No, I don't actually. Mm-mm. Or my brother, who's all of a sudden becoming really conservative, he thinks if I say anything that sounds liberal at all, that means I want to hand out food stamps to everybody <laughs> on the street. And you know, it's like you can't just this. He he can't just think that no, I feel this way about this thing, and I feel this way about another thing. Yeah. Oh, that doesn't fit with this and that. It's just yeah, it's frustrating. But like yeah. Joe, again, like Joe said, we like to we like to have things fit into a box and. Mm-hmm. To me, that's the broken thinking. That is, to me, that's at the core of alcoholism and addiction. It's like not being able to deal with the gray areas. It's, yeah, uh, yeah that frustration level. Yeah. So we can wrap this up, the step 11 thing, and maybe we can talk about um, the coming year and what, what we might like to do for future podcasts. But yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, you know, we were talking about the traditions and doing some of that. We can do that. Um, but I really like the idea of examining some of these. Um, little things, little issues in AA, like singleness of purpose would be a good mm-hmm. thing to examine. Um, what are you thinking? Yeah. 
I like that idea, singleness of purpose, and you know, it'd probably be good to go through the traditions too. I guess, yeah, yeah, because you can find all kinds of stuff in there, and and we could talk about how that um, applies to what's going on today. You know, with with us today, and and all the different issues that we have. Um, starting up meetings and stuff because that's a weird thing about AA. I mean, there's a certain part of it that's growing, and that's the secular AA meetings. They're they're growing mm-hmm. like crazy. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm on that WAF Central, and I get these emails of people starting groups up all the time, and people interested, and even our our groups in Kansas City are growing still. So yeah. this is a growing thing, um, whereas the rest of AA isn't. So we so we have some interesting challenges, I think, when. And how do we, as secular people, apply these traditions and all these newcomers that are coming to the program where, you know, like our, our group, they know nothing about the big book. Right. And that's going to be really interesting to see. Like, eventually, we're going to have a large population of people in Kansas City, um, Alcoholics Anonymous, who have no reverence for the big book. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting to think as soon as like this baby boomer population passes off and stuff, it's yeah. There's a changing of the guards that's going to take place. It's just you know, it's a different culture. Yeah, so, you're right about that. And that's where if AA doesn't change, you could really see the population go down yeah. of AA. Yeah, so that'd be kind of good to do. Go through the traditions and talk about some of the little issues that are in AA today. Yeah. Um, I'd think, like to kind of examine some of these groups, like <clears throat> um, the crazy um, groups, the the Clancy groups. Maybe mm-hmm. examine those a little bit and f- figure out, you know, who they are, why they are. <clears throat> I don't know. Maybe have one of them come on. <laughs> I yeah, I think it may be fun too to do. Like, uh, we could even post something on the Facebook groups about uh, slogans in AA, the different slogans, which are good ones, which are bad ones, and just talk about them. What are they really saying? What's good about it? What's bad about it? Yep. Yeah, we have a never we have a, a limitless pool of uh, topics that we can explore. Um, thank you, AA, for that. For that. Yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> well, it's been a lot of fun doing these podcasts. I have to say, I um, sometimes I think, um, boy, am I just getting? I mean, I feel like I'm self promoting. Sometimes I'll, I'll do a podcast and I post it all over Facebook. But you know what? People do enjoy these things. I enjoy doing them. I love talking to you, Ben. So, you know, if it's something I enjoy and if other people are getting some benefit from it, I'm going to keep doing it. Oh, I enjoy it so much. And it sounds so arrogant. And I've said it to you before, (laughs) but I'll go, I'll take the dogs for a walk and I'll listen to our podcast. And I don't, I don't really feel like I'm even listening to us. And like, we don't, we're, somebody is starting an agnostic atheist meeting in town here next week. And, um, you know, I'll probably go to it, but like, cool. I don't always have access to an agnostic atheist meeting. So right. listening to this podcast back, like I really do, I forget I'm even listening to us uh-huh. and it's, uh, it's, it's good. And I go back and then I think like you say too, I'm like, God, I repeat myself a lot. <laughs> but then I have to think to myself, you know, not everybody's listening to the same step podcast in a row right. or has listened to all of them either. So, right. But it's know, good just, having all of that stuff out there, and um, people are finding it. Um, people are searching for something, something that'll help them that, that that isn't so rigid and and religious and so forth. So these yeah. are these are good things that we do. But that's interesting. I, Someone's starting a group in Lincoln. Yeah. Um, yes. That's yeah. Really good news. I, I hesitate to talk about it. I've been invited to be more involved in it, but I just with our baby and stuff. I just, oh, I, I, I just don't. I don't want to commit because I don't want to not back out. You know, I sure. don't want to. So um, I'll probably go when I can. And um, yeah, do you know anything about it? What's it going to be called? Or I'm not sure. I know where it's going to be. It's going to be at a treatment center in town. Oh, really? 
Yeah, and they want uh, two points of contact. So this person is reaching out for somebody else to be the second point of contact. And okay. I don't I don't know. Yeah, it'll see. I hesitate to say more, but we'll okay. see. That's fine. Hopefully it takes off and goes well. Yeah. I have no idea the format. I have no idea what they're shooting for, but Well, it sounds we'll like um well, I bet you that I, I say I'm saying this. It sounds like Lincoln is like really conservative with um, AA and stuff like that from just talking to you. But I think it's kind of like that in Kansas City on the Kansas side. It's so weird on the Kansas side. It's like I think much more conservative, probably more like Lincoln than yeah. it is on the Missouri side. Yeah, but. I mean, there's some laid back meetings, and you know, I have to be careful. I haven't gone to that many midweek evening meetings because my schedule, the way it's worked out, noon meetings have worked out well for me. And that tends to be a lot of older, um, retired people. Uh So that would make sense too. But man, I went back to my old home group last week and it was, I mean, it wasn't as bad as I anticipated it to be, but it was still, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I'm not feeling it that much. Did you say that the, the Fox Hall group closed down in Lincoln? It did. Last I knew. Yeah. They just, the numbers kept dwindling down. And isn't that interesting? Yeah, it is. And I know the other meeting that's going on at this very time right now, too, that I find very rigid, but I have quite a few friends that go to, their numbers are really dwindling, too, and it's less than, it's less than it even is seasonally mm-hmm. each year. So I don't know. I just Maybe the changing dynamics of culture will just demand that slow incremental change of AA that, you know, maybe if AA does change, like, not that we'll take credit for it, but mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it's maybe it's just a natural evolving that's going on, and we think we're pushing this thing, but yeah. we're not really. It's just we are an example of the change. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. It's more like it's a current, and we just happen to be in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not necessarily really. It just would happen with or without us anyway. It's just kind of happening because I always had these agnostic groups for. You know, since 1975. Right. But now yeah. it's because just it's just like a perfect storm. You have the internet where we're able to get information and share information and connect with other people and organize. Right. And what's well, like? Uh, uh, you ever read the book Freakonomics? No, I know I've not read the book, but I've read a lot of the articles they were doing. Like uh, I think it was in the New York Times or something. The yeah. guy had for a long time. Yeah. Right. It's like so many things. Like they're one of the stories in there is talking about how. Um, abortion basically was the number one reason that the crime rate went down when it went down because there was a drastic drop in the crime rate in, I can't remember, like the 70s or whatever. Um, And it was perfectly correlated with when abortion became legalized. Hmm. And so all these groups everywhere wanted to, and I'm not saying it was all because abortion was legalized, but all these groups wanted to say, like the cops wanted to say it's because we're doing a better job of policing, the lawmakers want to do this, you know, and it's like everybody wants to jump and grab the, the to be the reason for why it's changing. And mm. the number one thing it was attributed to was a lot of the kids who maybe weren't going to be cared for weren't being born. Isn't that interesting? And, you know, I do, again, I'm not trying to stir up controversy. Mm. It's I don't necessarily believe in, you know, right. that kind of minority report type stuff. But it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. We all want to take credit for something that maybe would have happened without us. But I do think that this whole... I'm I'm done calling it a movement. <laughs> Me too. This whole awareness that um, it just gives people the permission to stay in AA and think differently, and it it reinforces that people have the permission to start any damn meeting they want. Yeah. And if that's all this is, fine. I mean, the stuff in Austin and getting big about and grandiose about stuff. I mean, mm. that stuff kind of bores me to be honest. Yeah, but, me too. I'm done um, with that. It's just we have the permission. You can think however you want. You don't. I mean, like I said it once. There's we're just being honest about it. There's been mm-hmm. people who've thought this way in AA for a long time. Yeah. The book, 
the book isn't even accurate in representing the first population no, of you're right, you're right. You know, it's like it was a sales pitch. Right. You're right about that. You know, the interesting thing, too, I heard about the other day, the book Alcoholics Anonymous in today's money, when it was published, would cost $60. I know. That's crazy. Can you imagine? I mean, yeah. Like, yeah, that's a, a lot of money. It is, especially when you're um, down and out. <laughs> yeah, yep. Sixty bucks is a lot of money for a, for a book. Um, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I, I I heard that too. I thought because you know you, you never really stop to think about what money was worth like back in the '30s, but it was drastically different. I mean, you could go like f- with a fifty cent piece, you could buy your groceries almost. You know, it was yeah, um, yep. anyway. Anyway, um, I'm kind of digressing, but <laughs> yeah. there are so many things we can talk about, and I'm sure oh, more yeah. will. I'm really anxious to tackle that singleness of purpose thing, too. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll schedule in a couple of weeks. Um, next week, I'm going to be talking to Lynn R. from Jasper, Georgia. Lynn is a really interesting guy. He, um, he's he been doing these voiceovers for us on all of our stories. He's recorded. Okay. Yeah, it's incredible. And he does a really good job with it. He's got a very good um, voice, and he's he's got like a flair for, for – um, almost acting and putting emotion into the stories. So we got a bunch of these posted on um, the site and on YouTube and on SoundCloud. And so he's going to come in and we're going to talk about his story and then also talk about some project that he might want to, to do um, mm-hmm. related to the audio stuff. So, yeah. You know what I also thought about, John, while we're at it? I was thinking we could all each watch a movie because I can think of – several movies I've seen that are highly related to recovery and they don't necessarily have to be related to hardcore alcoholism, yeah. but, um, and do a little discussion of a movie that relates to oh, alcoholism. That would be fun. There's, there really are some good movies there's a couple that come to my mind right off the top of my head. When a man was a woman, I thought was really good. And I've talked about yeah. that one here before. And that one with Michael Keaton. Well, um, oh, clean and sober. Clean and sober. Yeah. I'm even thinking like a movie like uh, groundhog day. Oh, really? Yeah, because the whole movie is really about uh, uh, spiritual growth. I'll use that word for lack of a better one. But um, yeah, it's well, just that would about, be fun. Yeah, um, I saw a film called Manchester by the Sea with Casey Affleck. Oh yeah, I want to see that. Yeah, it's very good, and it's about learning how to handle our pain without using alcohol. Kind of, I mean, you know, uh-huh. on some level, and it's about dealing with emotional pain and how you can be like a walking dead spiritual person, whatever you want to call it. With, be without being dead, but for anybody out there, I think uh, anybody who suffered some emotional pain, it would it's it was a very cathartic experience for me. Yeah, again, yep. step eleven could apply to that too. Going to a good movie and thinking about the movie. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. The best movies I go to it just causes me to reflect on myself and think about things and and uh, be able to put myself in other people's shoes too. Yeah, you know, it's about empathy. They're empathy machines. Movies are. Yeah, I know that you're a big fan of movies, and you like to, because uh, I see you post every once in a while a, a, a review of a film. Yeah, I used to write movie reviews for a website called Hollywood Jesus that looked at films from really? a Christian perspective, yeah. From a Christian perspective? Yep, yep. <laughs> and to be honest, I still go to that website sometimes. It's, um, oh, it's wow. They just talk about movies in depth, and it's not always a rigid Christian perspective. It's just more of a deeper emotional emotional place. Yeah, that's yeah. really funny. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> crazy, huh? <laughs> All right, Ben. Well, it's been fun. Yep, talking to you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. We'll be back next week with Lynn R. from Jasper, Georgia. 
Lynn has been doing our voiceovers for many of the stories published on AA Beyond Belief. He's done an incredible job. So come back next week to meet Lynn, hear his story, and his plans for the future. Until then, you all take care and be well.